Welcome. You're listening to The Sacristy, a podcast where we seek to learn, discuss, and exalt in the faith delivered once for all to the saints, as it has been passed down in the Anglican tradition. I'm Father Matthew Ainsley, the prospective vicar of All Souls Episcopal Church, a church plant in Horizon West, Florida, which will have its first service on November 3rd of this year. And I'm joined by my world-class host, <laughs> world-class, Father David Bumstead, the rector of Emmanuel Episcopal Church in the Audubon Park neighborhood of Orlando, Florida. We're real priests with real jobs and real churches, and service times are in our bio. We'd love for you to join us for worship if you're ever in town. Well, hey! Hey! How's it going? Good. So we're excited, um, as always, to be you know in front of the mic, uh, in front of each other. That's really great. We're also very excited because a uh, major milestone for a small podcast like ours, we have our first, what? 1,000 listens. Yes. And they say the first mill is the hardest. <laughs> That's what they say, I guess. So we are not even close to being on our way to a million, but... We are very, is. yeah, we're very, very, very excited. excited yeah. um, you know, maybe the best feedback I've had so far is that, you know, we say every every time we meet that we're real priests with real jobs and real churches, and I've actually had someone join us for worship. So uh, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, really cool. I'm really excited about it. That's um, already beyond the scope of impact that I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really neat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's someone so, would do that. Very, very cool. Um, and because now we're big time podcasters, so big, huge. It's time for us to start stretching our wings, start thinking big, you know. Uh, so we thought we'd start today with our uh, big time podcaster wish list. And it's actually going to be in the form of a game. It's a... I know almost nothing about what's about to happen. Yeah, I know. What, uh, what are we doing? The contest is that we have a list of things that we would really like now that we're big time huge podcasters. And the object of the game is to make the other one laugh. All right. Who's first? Well, you're older. Go ahead. Hmm. Very angry with you right now. Yeah. Saying that. Okay. Well, this is not a wish because it's a reality. Yeah. But it was on my wish list until I leased a Tesla this morning. Tesla. Got it. Yep. Okay. Sold my house and going to need our listenership to increase 1000 fold to be able to pay for it. Yeah, you can. It's very expensive. Yeah, considering we're at 0% dollars, so we need to monetize soon. <laughs> that laugh doesn't count. I'll get it in post. Okay. Or I won't. All right. For my first wish list list wish 10 years out of purgatory. <laughs> oh oh man. man. Oh, so you win. Oh, man. <laughs> you, man, you started with the big guns. You got me. You should see my list. Well, give us one or two more. All right. Well, I was thinking maybe a new cassock. A vanity plate with the podcast name on it. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, voice lessons so I can sing Goo Goo Dolls right, because I was flat when we did that the other day. Uh, a Tesla Model X with a sacristy body wrap. <laughs> Pretty pretty cool, don't you think? Would that have like my face on the passenger side door, or would you be looking at your own face when you got in? 
uh, and the mystery of God both. <laughs> I'd say a personal audience with Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and Pope of Rome, Francis. And finally, Skybox seats to an MMA fight with both Matthew McConaughey and Joe Rogan without you. That's really mean. Love you. <laughs> I guess I won that contest, but anyway, so that's that that's was awesome, man. You just that was a genuine laugh. Was. I was not expecting you to say something that funny the first time around. That was mean too, and I was not prepared. <laughs> well, at any rate, we're so glad that so many of you have joined us in this podcast adventure, and we thank you for your listening. And we hope, as always, that it is an encouragement and edifying to you. So, thank you. As we always do, we'll uh, start by uh, looking at the calendar, and uh, we'll begin by entering into prayer. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who art always more ready to hear than we to pray, and art wont to give more than either we desire or deserve, pour down upon us the abundance of thy mercy, forgiving us those things whereof our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things which we are not worthy to ask, but through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. What's coming up on the calendar? Yeah, so we're preparing for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, and we missed on September 30th, Jerome, uh, who was entered into heaven in the year 420. He was a priest, monk, and scholar. He translated the scriptures into Latin. Uh, This became known as the Vulgate. He's one of the church's hardest workers in scholarship and in prayer, and our own uh, liturgical resource says that he was seldom pleasant, but at least he was never dull, which is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he had a bit of a reputation. Yeah, recalcitrant is another way of saying that, right? So he's definitely someone who's appreciated more in death than in life. <laughs> Jeez. In terms of his personality, it sure. doesn't seem like people <laughs> like to be around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. On October 4th, St. Francis of Assisi, friar uh, from Till 26. He's a mendicant preacher, founder of one of the church church's great religious orders, the patron saint of ecologists. If you've ever been to a pet blessing. Yeah, which October is like pet blessing time, so... They're coming up. Yeah, I know mine is October 12th at 6, or excuse me, at 4. He's sort of the original Ace Ventura pet detective. Wow. Or maybe not. I don't know, man. I just picture animals just coming out of nowhere. Yeah, have you ever read the... Talking to him. Have you ever read The Little Roses of of St. Francis? I have not. Some of them are really, really neat. Very good. Okay, so October 6th, William Tyndall, priest... Uh, died in 1536. He's a translator of the Bible into English, a man of singular passion to translate the scriptures, strangled at the stake, and burned. Whoa. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. <laughs> October 11th, Philip, deacon and evangelist. Uh, we meet Philip in the book of Acts. He evangelized and baptized the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading Isaiah while he was traveling to Gaza. And apparently, according to Father Matt, he teleported to Azotus. So. It says that the spirit of the Lord carried him away. The Ethiopian eunuch no longer saw him and that he found himself in Azotus. So that's very much the language. So if you're a deacon out there, especially in central Florida, you would appreciate this charism to be able to go from one place to another without having to get on I-4. Yeah, Interstate 4 is the worst. So, But really an incredible story from the book of Acts. There's yeah. just some great, rich theologically dense parts of that short story 
he's reading the prophet Isaiah and Philip goes over to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? Right. And so it's this catechetical moment where empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, Philip opens to him the scriptures. My favorite moment of that is the zeal of this newly converted Ethiopian man. You know, what does he say uh, to Philip? Well, they're in the desert and then they're traveling on this road and they come to water and he says, what prevents me from being baptized? Yeah. Which I've thought about that as a priest. If, if I had a zealous convert and they came up to me and said, what prevents me from being baptized? I would really have this inkling to want to baptize them on the spot, (laughs) right? I mean, it's it's like, okay, let's go for it. I mean, not that you don't want to vet people and make sure that it's sincere, but in this case, don't delay it unless you really need to. Yeah. I've always found that, that, um, that response very personally moving. The zeal of the converted uh, is, a, is a truly remarkable thing, both in scripture and in real life. And so we hope to see more of that, you know, in our own ministries. And that takes us through really the first few days of October. Well, what are we talking about today, Father Matt? We're going to talk about the sign of the cross, this prayer, this holy gesture, and what it means and what's its history, and why we should do it as Christians. We're excited about this particular topic. It's actually something that has uh, come up quite a bit in my own ministry. You know, people have asked me straight up at church, well, you know, I see my fellow congregants, my person in the pew, I see you, Father, doing a sign of the cross. What is that? Or am I allowed to do that? Or can I do that? Or maybe I don't want to do that. And so it, it is something that's on the minds of many of the faithful, Uh, We should say a little bit of caveat, as we often do in the intro. Father Matt, if someone was at your church, All Souls, here in about a month, uh, which is very exciting, by the way, and someone walks in uh, to the the school where you're meeting, and you begin the Mass, and you say, Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they don't make the sign of the cross, what are you going to do? I am going to turn towards the nave, jump down... (laughs) (laughs) onto the floor and make them do it by force. Like spider monkey style. I always try to put people at ease, you know, especially if people are from different backgrounds. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about my own story a little bit, maybe a non-denominational or Baptist background. And they're just not there. They don't understand it. They may be apprehensive just inviting people into the life of the church and here's what we're doing and here's why we're doing it and providing for them an on-ramp. Yeah. But not making them feel unwelcome. There's no liturgical police. Yeah. And wherever you're at, be at that place. And I want to challenge you to do this Yeah. because I believe it's going to benefit your spiritual life and honor the Lord. But no one, myself included, looks at you as sort of a second-rate Christian right. if you don't. Right. Yeah. And, and for many, and I think this is good, uh, this kind of runs under that old Anglican maxim that all may, some should, but none must. I know in my own life, it's like one of my, it's one of the things that made me very interested about Anglicanism as I came in from another tradition was to see that the thing that I've always seen other people do in movies and in, and like, you know, walking around, like seeing people doing that weird thing with their arm and their face and their chest. I've always wondered what that was and seeing 
that that's a possibility in, in becoming an Anglican coming into the Episcopal Church. It seemed like, oh, cool, now I can finally do this. This is great. Um, so that's kind of where we're thinking this afternoon as we record. So people started doing the sign of the cross in what, 1988? Yeah, like, you know, uh, 89 actually. You okay. Know, Taylor Swift is born. And then sign <laughs> Here of the cross. Here we go. Big back. year. Big year. So where does the sign of the cross come from? Because some, I think, assume it's the product of the abuses of medieval Catholicism. Sure. The sale of indulgences yeah. and the advent of the sign of the cross. So yeah, is it old? Of... Where does it where does it come from? Well, it is old, and um, I don't know if we could really necessarily pinpoint a, a, a time and a place, but that's kind of the one of the reasons why we know it's old because it's being described very early on, at least uh, in the second century, as something that the Christians are doing and have done for a while. And the cross, the cross is at the center of the Christian faith, right? Immediately. In terms of our spirituality, our devotion to the crucified and risen one, you have someone like Paul, and you could perhaps make the argument that the sign of the cross, in part, is just Pauline theology, particularly his theology of the cross, played out in liturgics. Because he writes, you know, I presume to know nothing except Christ crucified. He says that I'm always caring about in my body the death of the Lord Jesus. I heard one priest, he was saying as he was making this shift in his parish and the liturgical orientation that they were going to be facing the cross, and he called it ad crucem to mm-hmm. the cross, Right. that one of the ways that he prepared his parish for this change in their liturgy is that he taught through the letters of Paul and showed them that existentially speaking, Paul is always facing the cross. Right. And so what we see in the early church, the Antinocene fathers, the post-apostolic fathers even, like you said, as early as the second century, is very naturally growing out of what we find in scripture. Right. And and so the, the practice itself becomes this way, and we'll get into a little bit about how we can actually think and pray through this, but it becomes a way to actually mark ourselves with the with the same cross. This is a Tertullian or Tertullian, born in 155, died in 240, there or about. And he writes, In all our travels and movements, in all our coming in and going out, in putting on our shoes at the bath, at the table, and lighting our candles, and lying down and sitting down, whatever employment occupies us, awesome. we mark our foreheads with the sign of the cross. Which for those of you keeping score at home, that's a small kind of minor cross that's made usually with a thumb. Not, yes. not exactly the full kind of full body thing that we might see, you know, in a rosary or, or at the beginning of the mass or during the mass, but still a sign of the cruciform sign on our bodies. Yeah, and so not to belabor the point, but as I read through that, this is his way of always carrying around in his body, with yeah. his body, the death of the Lord Jesus, right. and bringing the cross to mind and and sanctifying himself by the cross. Right. Uh, later on, a couple hundred years later, St. Cyril of Jerusalem, major defender of orthodoxy, he's got a, a, a great series of lectures called the Catechetical Lectures. And basically, the 13th chapter is is elaborating on just what Father Matt said, taking the view of Paul vis-a-vis the crucified Messiah and really applying it to Christian life. And he says, uh, 
If any disbelieve the power of the crucified, let him ask the devils. If any believe not words, let him believe what he sees. Many have been crucified throughout the world, and I like this, but by none of these are the devils scared. But when they see even the sign of the cross of Christ, who was crucified for us, they shudder. It's amazing. Yeah. The sign of the cross itself is powerful, not in a kind of superstitious way, but it really does stand against that which is evil in our world. He also goes on to say later on, in a very similar way to uh, Tertullian, but let us not be ashamed to confess the crucified. Be the cross our seal made with boldness by our fingers on our brow and on everything over the bread we eat and the cups we drink in our comings in and our goings out before our sleep when we lie down and when we rise up and when we are in the way and when we are still. And all of that to say, you know, is a great, very ancient way of saying literally everything we do should be signed with the cross of Christ. And then you have St. John Chrysostom in the 4th and 5th centuries, never leave home without making the sign of the cross. And then he also, in his teaching, he talks about how to deal with offense. You know, when you're offended by a brother or sister, and he says, begin just by making the sign of the cross. And what that does is, of course, it, takes your mind, your noose to the crucified and risen one, but it puts things in perspective Right. that whatever injustice was leveled against you pales in comparison <laughs> yeah. to the injustice that was leveled against our Lord and yeah. the, the mockery which he underwent and the shame, yeah. but yet, ironically, the glory of the cross. And so it's a physical way of bringing yourself into this cruciformity right that's cool hadn't thought of it like that yeah yeah chrysostom's good yeah you know best preacher ever so yeah and then jumping ahead to uh, saint francis de Sales, he lived in the 16th and 17th centuries he talks about the trinitarian Mm -hmm. nature of the sign of the cross that it's connected with the invocation of the trinity and becomes really this powerful catechetical tool for ourselves and for others. He says, we raise the hand first to the forehead saying in the name of the father to signify that the father is the first person of the most holy Trinity of whom the son is begotten and from whom the Holy spirit proceeds. Then saying, and the son, the hand is lowered to the breast to express that the son proceeds from the father who sent him down to the womb of the virgin. Then the hand is moved from the left shoulder or side to the right, while, sign, while saying, and of the Holy Spirit, thereby signifying that the Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Holy Trinity, proceeds from the Father and the Son, that he is the love that unites both, and that we through his grace partake of the fruits of the passion. Accordingly, the sign of the cross is a brief declaration of our faith in the three great mysteries, yeah. of our faith in the Blessed Trinity, in the passion of Christ and in the forgiveness of sin by which we pass from the left side of curse to the right of blessing. It's beautiful. That's really neat. I had never really thought about it. as you make your hand down from the yeah. father to the son. It's this incarnational yeah. moment of he descended Descending, from heaven. For sure. I love that. Yeah. So we think that there's, you know, ancient precedent for this and we don't think it's bad that people do it now looking to the that first question that we were handling you know just some ways to think about it uh, uh, 
like I said, we've had folks both in both of our ministry contexts ask us about, if I'm going to do it, why? And so there's a, a bunch of different ways that we could be thinking about the sign of the cross in our lives as Christians. First thing, is it just a Catholic thing? And I think that Father Matt and I would say, well, yeah, but in the best way possible, right? So when, sometimes when we are in our ministries, we hear Catholic, and you know, it, there's a there's an allergy towards the the Roman Catholic Church. But this isn't really a Roman Catholic thing. This is a, something that when we say Catholic, we mean the universal Church throughout time and all places. And so. Father Matt, do the Orthodox make the sign of the cross? They do. They do it a little bit differently. They do, yeah. And they make the horizontal line, they go to the right shoulder first and then to the left or the eastern side yeah. of their body. So it's kind of interesting <laughs> yeah. how we go to the left, the yeah. west, and they go to the right, the east. But so it's it's something that, in, and certainly Orthodoxy would call itself Catholic. And so, yeah, it's a Catholic thing in the sense of the universal practice of the church. Yeah, and I would contend that that's probably the number one reason that people don't do it. Probably. Is Outside, that they well, just think it's a Roman Catholic sure. thing. Outside of ignorance, right? Sure. Some might just not understand what's going on or why you would do it or what it means or, or when to do it. But a lot just, I think, oh, man, I don't want to be yeah. a Roman Catholic. And I think we've demonstrated just in a few minutes that it goes back to the earliest days of the church mm-hmm. and even through to the Protestant reformers. I mean, Luther talks about, you know, this short office that he gives his people. He's like, at least wake up, make the <laughs> sign of the cross, you know, say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, say the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. Right. Kind of at least start your day that way. Yeah. And so it wasn't, again, this thing that was intrinsic to the abuses or perceived abuses of medieval Roman Catholicism. Right. It didn't go outside of that. But there's some also, besides a, you know, kind of managing, you know, an, uh, an allergy um, to what are some positive things that we could say about the practice of the sign of the cross? Well, again, when we go back to the great commandment to worship the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, mm-hmm. getting back to this thing of we are human beings, which means we're enfleshed, and our Lord was and is incarnate, and our destiny is new life and God's new creation. So to be human is to be embodied. Yeah. And so how do we live as human beings, and how do we worship God with all of our strength? Right. And realizing that what we do with our bodies matters, and that there is a psychosomatic connection, our soul-body connection, well, what do you mean by psychosomatic? I'm curious about that. I know what you mean, but I'm... I mean, even in a non-religious context, people will talk about the way that you dress when you go to school or your posture when you're in a meeting affects your energy level, your attitude, yep. and ha- so has an effect on your mood, on your thoughts, on what you're doing. And so as we... It's a whole science. is a whole science and business about this. It's called ergonomics, right? Yes. And so if that's true, just an everyday run of the mill things, of course, it's true in worship and even more so getting off topic a little bit. And when we kneel, that says something to our soul that we're kneeling before the Lord, our maker. Right. It's a submissive and humble act 
when we kneel and that's teaching that's that psychosomatic connection right that's a way we're, we're teaching ourselves through how we worship with our bodies right talk about some of the spiritual realities that we're that we're engaging you know as we um, as we make the sign of the cross I'm particularly curious about this idea of uh, this simple and very profound prayer but using it in terms of uh, sanctifying ourselves our you know are setting apart our lives to God. What do you think of that, Father Matt? Well, we're sanctified and we're set apart through Christ by the cross. And so it's it's this recognition with our bodies that, that our hope of holiness is, is being united with Him. And the division between us and God was torn asunder right. through Christ's death on the cross. Yeah. It's also, it's a way of surrendering. Yeah. Of by making the sign of Jesus, you're inviting the further work of the Holy Spirit into your life. And, to make you holy. And, and that's just and, one of a yeah. million things. That's why I say it's really simple to do. Yeah. And it's communicating all these different things at once. Right. Father Matt says on our little planning document, and I think it's really beautiful and it's a little, um, and it's... Uh, brevity it says it's simple yet profound prayer you know it really does it how long does it take to do you know less than a second sometimes right but it is itself uh, referring to this incredible salvation that christ has wrought for us our incredible vocation in that the life of holiness uh, the life of uh, of a christian on pilgrimage all of that's kind of in there right and and more besides right and so, you know, we, we talk about it's a way to set apart ourselves to God. It's a, a prayer of reverence in the same way that kneeling is a submissive act towards our, our maker, towards our Lord. A prayer of reverence is simply saying that God is God and we are not, and we seek to follow in his ways and that he's bigger and better than we are. Yeah, there's a holy fear that's in the sign of the cross. Yeah. I and mean, you see this even sometimes in TVs or movies, when something scary is happening, you'll see someone yeah, like right, making right, the right. sign of the cross, like, oh no. <laughs> I was, it's funny because last night, my wife and I, Becca, we were watching a YouTube show and um, it was a show where they were going to do something dumb, like eat a, eat a gross thing or whatever. And um, one of the, one of the people on the show made a sort of haphazard sign of the cross. And I, I kind of joked, oh, they didn't really go all the way to the left or whatever. But um, whether or not this person is a religious person, it like you said, there's this aspect of well, something that's going to happen is big or crazy or weird or scary, and so what is what is the cry of the heart there? But help, right? Again, it's this simple prayer. There's I don't know that we can exegete all that's yeah. going in to the sign of the cross, but yeah. it's this plea to Jesus. It's this profession of faith. It's this act of devotion. I remember. When Meb Kaflexi, I'm butchering his last name, but he's an American marathoner, and he was 38, which in marathon running is getting up there. Sure. And he was about to win the Boston Marathon, which is one of the premier marathons in the world, if you know anything about distance running. Or anything ever, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And he turns the corner, and he knows he's going to win, and he just starts making the sign of the cross over and over and over again. I just remember that being so powerful, because he's saying help, because at the end of a marathon, when you're running like a 450 
mile pace, which is insane. That's faster than a treadmill will go at a gym. Oh he gosh. ran that for 26.2 miles. You need help. God, don't let me die because yeah. I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> so, with my heart yeah. and my lungs and my legs. There's also, it came off to me as this praise and adoration. Like, yeah. thank you thank for you. giving me this experience and sustaining me. Well, how's, how's one that's way less profound? What about our boy Bear Grylls? When he'd jump out of a helicopter and that show uh, Man vs. Wild, every time, every time would make the sign of the cross. I think he's actually a pretty good Anglican, but... Yes, he is. I think he was very involved with the Alpha Ministry yeah. with Nicky Gumbel in the UK, which has come to the United States as well and been yeah. pretty popular. I think finally, too, you know, and we'll go into how, how and when we do the sign of the cross, but to receive a blessing. You know, Father Matt and I, when we're out and about many times, uh, both, um, you know, when we're out getting lunch or alone, walking around doing our business, people will stop and ask us as priests for blessings. That happened just the other day in Publix, for example, a grocery store chain here in Florida. And so people that know the drill, right, know that a priest can give a blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Their response is to make the sign of the cross, right, to accept that all that Christ does, all that Christ is, that he will bless us, both of us, really, the priest and the person being blessed, but as a, as a sign of that promise. Yeah, like the hymn, we're saying when we receive a blessing, we're making the sign of the cross, come thou fount of every blessing. Yeah, yeah. That blessing comes from the triumph God, and that that fount is the blood of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross. Yeah. There's also, we're acknowledging when you receive the absolution of the forgiveness of sins. Right. If you're in a Catholic, Orthodox... Anglican liturgy during the absolution, the priest will make the sign of the cross and in response to it's showing that you're actually on board with what's happening in a way. But again, that the forgiveness, which is being pronounced by the minister is only possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. And and if any, if any of of our listeners have uh, made their confession or perhaps even uh, heard a confession, you know that the sign of the cross is a very important pastoral aspect of that confession right of that right of uh, of the of the penitence you know you find it all over the place where people are sorry for their sin and receiving that word of absolution which comes only through the grace of Christ um, by his cross and resurrection well I want to ask you a question because maybe some people want to learn how to make the sign of the cross yeah and I remember so important for me personally is when I was still in the non-denom Baptist world and I'm reading about the ancient church and I just started having this longing to make the sign of the cross and I wouldn't do it in public or do it in church. I would usually do it, you know, in the shower when I was, you know, praying in the morning by myself. And I felt like I was doing something wrong at first because it was just against my Baptist sensibilities. Yeah. But I had to learn how to do it. Right. And I just got on Google. So maybe you could tell yeah. people if they're interested well, in making it. Sure. Like, uh, so, you know, if you already know, then this is review and that's great. Um, but if you're if you're listening to this podcast afresh and are looking towards this as a practice, yeah. Well, it's very simple. There's a bunch of different ways to hold your hand and we'll go over that a little bit. But the basic movement, once you've figured out what to do with your hand, is to go to about uh, the middle of your forehead, um, right on your brow. Start there, and then go down to about the middle of your chest. Um, some people go lower, some people go higher. It's fine. Uh, and then, you know, in the western right, we go down and then to the left. 
uh, and then we pull to the right on our shoulders. And so there, that is the basic sign of the cross. Now, like I said, there's a couple of different ways to hold one's hand. Um, my own preferred method is, um, I guess, an Eastern uh, example, which in which the hand, the way the hand is is formed, becomes its own kind of catechetical instrument. And so, if you can imagine with us, basically putting your uh, pinky and ring finger down into your palm and then using your middle finger, your pointer finger, and your thumb, put the, putting those together, if you can imagine all of this. I would have trouble with, with this part. But in any case, so the two that are on your palm represent the dual natures of Christ, which is what counsel, Father? That would be the council of Ephesus, Chalcedon, and then the subsequent ones working that out, Constantinople right. 2, 3. And so we have the dual natures of Christ, and then we say that uh, the, the other fingers, the three fingers, are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons in one nature, which is essentially in defense of Nicaea. So that's, a, uh, that's how I do it. You know, I'm making not only the, the, the theology of the church present in my mind, but also very much in my heart, uh, because of those, those are the things that I want to be praying through. Another question that a lot of folks have is when to actually make the sign of the cross. And of course, there's so many different ways that uh, so many different places in a liturgy, uh, even as you walk into the church. I know that my own practice is to when I uh, begin the mass or when I walk into the church for the first time on the Sunday morning or really any time I go by our holy water stoop is to dip my hand in the holy water and you know remind myself of the baptism and the cross of Christ. Uh, but throughout the liturgy, there are places that you know the church has kind of done them. Uh, and it's a longer list, but... I would say that the ones that jump out to me the most are at the beginning, at the opening acclamation, during or at the at the absolution, uh, the pronouncement of the absolution, during elevations of the sacrament and the canon. And that's sort of that holy fear one yeah. where you're recognizing the presence of your Lord and it's like, help. Yeah. <laughs> like there's this, th- yeah. this recognition that God is in our midst. Right. And reverence and worship and devotion. Yeah. You know, and whenever I'm not saying mass, but worshiping, you know, that, that sign of the cross during the elevation is usually followed by a short prayer, you know, especially the words of Thomas, my King and my God, or my Lord and my God. At the final blessing as well, we make the sign of the cross again to accept the blessing. Now, that is not an exhaustive list. And I'm certain that if, uh, if you, you know, kind of compared everyone's habits, uh, you would find many different ways and places amongst Anglo-Catholics, amongst different, and other, uh, other churchmanship besides. There's certainly more that, that I do during the, during, um, during the context of the Mass. I always, for example, if I'm worshiping, I make the sign of the cross when I genuflect to go to the altar rail, and then I make the sign of the cross when I'm about to receive either kind, for example. Uh, one question that has come up many times, actually, you know, we, we're not trying to provide an exhaustive, exhaustive list because the best way to learn when to make the sign of the cross is really to become part of a community. And in many places, you know, you'll see people doing it and following the lead of folks you trust that are in the pew, following the lead of the priest, the celebrant, but really trusting in the community to help you through that. And in places where there's a, a mix of different, um, of different practice, follow along with someone who their practice includes the use of the sign of the cross. And so again, it's actually a place of discipleship. Just like the, the Book of Common Prayer, you've got to be taught how to use the Book of Common Prayer. 
for it to work its best, the sign of the cross is really done uh, in community. Um, and so it becomes a place for you to learn more about how to worship. And I would encourage priests, if they want to increase this sort of piety within their congregations, is to give people an on-ramp, give them mm-hmm. an opportunity to engage. You know, I've seen some priests that in their service booklets, they have crosses or in the margins, they're telling them, you know, the different, whether yeah. to bow or whether to make the sign of the cross and inviting them again, inviting them into that, not telling their ushers to be looking around yeah. and make, see who's <laughs> yeah. doing it and who's not doing it, uh, but to help them. Yeah. For example, as, as Evensong becomes something that more and more parishes are exploring as a, as a possibility for Sunday night worship, you'll see that crosses find their way into the text of the Magnificat and the Nunc Dimittis, so that people know that it's a, it's a traditional place to make the sign of the cross. I have a question for you, Father. I've noticed that during the reading of the gospel, that people's foreheads and lips get really itchy, and they're, mess- they're <laughs> yeah, messing they- with their faces. <laughs> Everybody's got a weird... Me- uh, what are people tick? doing yeah. during the reading of the gospel? Well, they're not... They're not... They're not, <laughs> they're not scratching a tick. They're not, uh, they're not doing something... Odd, odd, autonomic uh, nerve thing there. Um, well, I jest, but a lot of visitors are like, what the heck are people doing? Yeah, well, during- a, lot of, a lot of visitors with no context coming into uh, an Episcopal service are like, well, what? Uh, <laughs> so but, let's help people. What, is that, yeah. what does it mean? Well, you know, it's actually uh, used to be uh, something that was really, really the, the province of, of the deacon or the priest alone uh, when they would make a prayer at the, at the proclamation of the gospel. You know, the Lord be in your mind, the Lord be upon your lips, the Lord be in your heart, as you may fitly and worthily proclaim the gospel of our Lord. And I think it's a very good and holy thing that people saw that and it became a practice that the faithful included in their own worship. And so, yeah, you'll find three little tiny crosses made using the, the thumb over the, the brow, the Lord be in your mind, cross your lips and your lips. Uh, and in your heart, right across your sternum. And again, you can actually add that prayer into that, you know, um, to, to help that little practice come alive. I know that that was, when I knew that that was a possibility, that became a very important part of my own practice during the context of the Mass. And as somebody who has had the opportunity to pray that prayer over a deacon of the Mass, I can tell you, I mean, it's very powerful, you know, for the deacons out there. You know, your work is very important as you're proclaiming the gospel. And so, um, to have that little extra oomph, that little ancient prayer over them is, I think, you know, very helpful for the setting of their vocation. But anyway, we're talking about liturgical movement, and I think we'll talk about some of these more in another episode at some point. But we're talking about this thing that you do in the context of the Mass especially, but some other things include things like bows, things like a genuflection. The genuflection is really just when you go down to one knee. It's a very ancient gesture showing, you know, your fealty, giving honor to a superior. The way I think about it in our own context is when Jesus is present, it is as if the king is holding court in, on his throne. And so if he's present with us, then there really isn't anything other than to give him all the honor due to him. So what else should I do but go down to one knee and give him my fealty? He is my Lord after all. And our posture matters. Yeah. Not many people 
if the CEO of their company <laughs> walked in their office and they're laying on the couch would just be like, hey, what's up, bro? They would know just intuitively stand up, like pay attention, yeah. give some sort of deference with your posture. Right. So how much more the Lord and King <laughs> yeah. of the universe? We would say that, you know, Jesus is really present in the sacrament. And so act accordingly is kind of, you know, why I make a genuflection. Again, you know, not saying that people who don't make a genuflection are any less Christian, but for me, it became a really important way for me to act out my faith in seriousness and uh, and in truth, you know. And I'll speak for you. Okay. <laughs> we want you to make the sign of the cross for your sake. It's not yeah. for us because I think it's going to increase your devotion to the Lord and you're going to see it as a gift. And my question to those of you who are like, no, I don't want to do that. Well, why not? Why don't you want to do it? And would you be willing to say, okay, maybe it's a devotion for Advent. I'm going to do it. Sure. I'm going to try it. Yeah. Try it out. Yeah. And see what happens. I know that's kind of like a funny thing to say. I'm not. I don't think so. But I think if you really try to plumb the depths of it and it becomes a part of your devotion, then you're just going to do it forever. Well, there's so many things that, <laughs> yeah, I think so too. There's so many things that, you know, that the worry for so many folks is rote, that it becomes rote. It's just a, a bare thing in itself. And, you know, that, that is always sort of a possibility, sort of, uh, always a um, something to be concerned about on some level. But I think what we're trying to say is that, one, that it does draw, it can draw us into a, a deeper relationship with God because we're using our body to worship him but two that it keeps our attention in the right places that we need God that he is our helper he is our strength and that there are places in the in the in the in the context of the mass that are of of particular importance and worthy of our attention and also if it does become rote which is i guess unfortunate but on the other hand there are worse things to do <laughs> And anything can become rote. Well, that's right. Like hugging and kissing your spouse could become rote. That's right. Should you stop doing it or never greet them in any sort of warm or affectionate way because it might, God forbid, become just something you do? No. But also with that, you know, when we're talking about, which we talk about every single episode, the faith delivered once for all to the saints. Right. And we've talked about how that includes the worshiping and liturgical life of the church, making the sign of the cross puts us in continuity with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and throughout the ages. Yeah, which was one of the big things that brought me into our tradition, especially something like the Nicene Creed and the sign of the cross working together to bring us into that greater fellowship. Yes, absolutely, Father Matt. All right, we're ready for our sermon first pass. Again, the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 22. The lessons are, I'll just spit them out real sure. quick. A reading from Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Psalm is Psalm, portion of Psalm 37, verses 1 through 10. The epistle is 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And the gospel is Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. And again, you can find these lessons 
at a resource like lectionarypage.net. It will give you all the readings for both tracks for churches that are following the, what's called the Revised Common Lectionary. Yeah. So what you preaching on there, Father David? <laughs> well, point of fact, I'm not preaching this weekend, but um, if I were preaching, just a couple of cool things about about Habakkuk. You know, what caught my attention as we were preparing is this this uh, this verse. I will stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what they will say to me, and uh, and and that he will uh, answer concerning my complaint. And I think the image that I get there is this this um, this lonely watcher actually standing firm and, and, and being patient and waiting, which is um, not something that comes natural to, well, certainly not to me, but certainly I think in a time, in our time, which is so angst-filled and so busy, that this idea of being a patient watcher and awaiting and, and, and seeing what will come, that stands out to me personally. And certainly we know, I mean, in, in the response, therefore, to the wicked that surround the righteous, and judgment becoming perverted is, you know, Habakkuk gives us the response of standing at the watchpost and stationing myself on the rampart, knowing that ju- injustice and evil are swirling around about us, but we instead wait uh, to see what God will do. When we're looking at the epistle, Second Timothy, there's so much meaning here. And what's happening in Second Timothy is Paul is writing his protege, his son in the faith, and he's urging him to just hold fast to what's been entrusted to him, knowing that he's not long for this world. Yeah. And there's a great section where he's recalling Timothy's heritage of faith. And he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure Sure lives lives in you. you. Just the faithfulness of God. I think you could do a sermon. I'm not preaching this week either. So we kind of both have this off. We're, we're really winging it. So it's <laughs> yeah. the pressure of the pulpit. It's not on us. Yeah. yeah, it's not on us. I think something to encourage parents and grandparents, and not in a trite way, but the way that they live and model the faith really does make an impact and really does matter. Just to speak autobiographically, yeah, I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for the faithfulness of my mother to the Lord Jesus Christ and her modeling that and living that and teaching that to me and the impact that you can have just through modeling the faith for your children and grandchildren. Yeah, and I so having not grown up in church, uh, I would say that I do look, I personally look for you know, those mentors, those people who came before me in the faith to really latch on to, to their witness uh, and their vocation to, to get that, that rudder in my life. And so if you're ever out there thinking, well, my Christian vocation is going unnoticed, please know that, you know, the, the quiet, humble saints who are more experienced, you have, you have created a witness to the ages, not only to uh, glorify Christ, but to bring up even young'uns like Father Matt and I, uh, into the into the greater vocation of, of our Christian faith. I love this. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and self-discipline. Um, and I love that the power of love and self-discipline, you know, it's, it's, these aren't like, you know, Superman, like laser eyes or, or frost breath, like power, but really the power that God gives us is to do these sort of almost basic human things of, of loving one another uh, and, and abasing ourselves uh, 
towards one another, the, the, self, the self-discipline of humility. Yeah, this really is a, a beautiful epistle lesson. Just to jump to the gospel as we conclude today, Luke 17, 5 through 10, it begins with the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And um, before I knew what liturgy was, before I knew there were liturgical prayers, increase our faith was like my first prayer. You know, a friend of mine said, I said, how do I pray? And he says, well, try this one. And so when I prayed, I'd always begin with increase my faith. You know, the idea that, that, that the Lord is the one who sort of puts a wedge in our hearts so that he can find and break his way in uh, has always caught my attention um, that I would, I would want to step out of my own way to allow for God to step into my life uh, and create a greater home for himself in my heart. Yeah, and then there's a great sort of mini parable about the mentality of the disciples of Christ and particularly the mentality of us as ministers about Jesus saying, you know, who among you would say to your your slave, your servant, if they were plowing the field, they were doing their job essentially, would you praise them abundantly and ask them to come sit at the table and be like, well, no, that's what you're supposed to do. And he's using that to talk about the kingdom of God that our response when we're faithful to the Lord should be thus, that we are worthless slaves. We have only done what we ought to have done. And that's such a challenge to me because there are times in my life where I'm just doing the basics. It's like, oh, you know, this is like super Christian stuff. And sometimes we want to be lauded for that instead of just this mentality that, yep, Christ is our Lord and our master and as his servants and as his sons like this is how we ought to to live and, yeah. and be yeah it kind of rings out about our episode on duty and obligation sure. that there is an oughtness to what we do as we follow christ so absolutely all right well we want to thank you again for joining us today again we always hope that our work here on this podcast is an encouragement and an edification to you. We know that it's a blessing to get a chance to sit together and and record. And again, we want to thank you for our first 1,000 listens. That's a huge deal to us. Thank you. We had no idea uh, that that was even possible. And, uh, and so thank you again for joining us in this work. Let us pray. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Father Matt. Thank you. Blessings, everybody. See ya.